Let's uh, take our Bibles, look in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 this morning as we spend a few minutes thinking about a subject that I'll title the message this morning, Come and See, from Matthew chapter 28. I hope that you have allowed the statement to sink in this morning that Christ is risen. I hope that you feel the freedom that is found in that statement. I I hope that you understand the excitement that is wrapped up in that statement today that Christ is risen. Because if that statement is true, it changes everything. If that statement is true, it means that a lot of what we face in life, in fact, everything we face in life, as difficult as it might be, that those things do not have the final word. If that statement is true, it means that the greatest enemy of all, death and the grave, cannot impact those who have a relationship with a Jesus who is alive and well. To say that Christ is risen is to say that Christ is alive, and if Christ is alive, things like cancer can only hurt you up to a certain point in this life, but it can't touch you in the life to come. If Christ is alive, then disease can impact you only on this earth, but not in the eternity that is to come. If Christ is alive, COVID can only touch you physically, but it cannot touch you spiritually. But you see, when Jesus came out of the grave, he came out victorious over not just his death, but mine. He came out victorious not just over someone else's disease but mine. When Jesus came out of the grave, he came out of that grave victorious over sin, over death, over disease, over cancer, and over corona. He came out victorious over everything. But is that statement true? Is Christ risen? We see we have got this term that we've used here. By the way, go ahead and get your look right now because I can tell. Take your picture, whatever you want to do. (laughs) Now, okay. (laughs) Now that I can breathe, (laughs) because some of us don't have necks that are meant for ties. If that statement is true, it will indeed change everything in our lives. But you see, there is this uh, term that's become quite popular lately, especially the last few years, called fake news. Is the statement, Christ is risen, is that fake news? Just a few years ago, if someone had told you that they had a job as a fact checker, you'd have looked at them like a calf looking at a brand new fence. 
Well, it's a fat check, but now apparently you can get uh, some fairly decent employment in being a fact checker because of the plethora of fake news that we face. To many people, the resurrection of Jesus sounds like fake news. It sounds like little more than wishful thinking to make someone feel good about death or about what is after this life. There is a phrase repeated in the Gospels, and we'll see that phrase today, and it's repeated numerous times that helps us understand and answer that question of, is Christ really risen? Is this fake news? And that phrase is, come and see. In John chapter 1, Jesus met a young man by the name of Philip, and and Jesus told Philip things about himself that Philip thought were secret, and and Philip understood this is the Messiah, and Philip went and found his brother Nathanael, and Philip said in John chapter 1, come and see a man who told me everything about me. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at a well, and this woman has been discarded by society. She's an outcast, and, and Jesus began to tell this woman things about herself that only she knew, and this woman was convinced that she was talking to the Messiah, and she ran back into her village, and she told everyone, I have met the Messiah, the one the Old Testament talked about, and they all said, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about, and she said very simply, John chapter 4, come and and see. And now we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come, see, come and see the place where he lay. The angel said, come and see if this is made up. Come and see if this is just wishful thinking. The women went to the tomb. They looked for themselves. They saw he was not there. They ran back to tell the disciples. The disciples were hiding in a room for fear that the enemy was going to come and get them next. And the woman gave their report. And the other gospel narratives clue us in to let us know that some of those disciples thought the women were overcome with grief. They thought they might have been hallucinating. And the women, in effect, said to them, you guys come and see. And then we read in verse 11, while they were going back to the women to tell the disciples, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed 
And this story, this story that Jesus, his body was stolen by the disciples, that story has been spread among the Jews to this day. In fact, it is still a narrative that is being purported today that Jesus did not really rise from the dead, that that is fake news, but instead his disciples came and they stole the body. The first counterclaim to the resurrection is deliberate fake news. The disciples stole the body, they made up the story of the resurrection to gain some political advantage. How can such a claim even make sense? How could a group of untrained guys go to a tomb that was guarded by highly skilled, highly dangerous, a garrison of Roman soldiers? These were elite men who knew the penalty of falling asleep on the job. The penalty was death. Think about that next time you go to sleep behind your computer, their penalty was death if they went to sleep on the job. And somehow we are supposed to think that even though all this was standing, that this group of untrained guys, they come onto the scene at about the same time that the soldiers go to sleep, and this group of men roll away a two-ton stone. How does that make any kind of sense at all? What advantage is it in claiming that your leader is dead? What advantage does a dead Messiah do for these disciples? How can they use a fake resurrection to their advantage? It gets them nothing. But let's just pretend for a second. Let's, and again, we're pretending. Let's just pretend that the disciples did steal the body. Here's the conversation that would have taken place or something similar to it. I wasn't there, but I think this is what would have happened. Maybe Peter would have said, hey guys, you know what? I know Jesus is dead, but there's no reason for his cause to die with him. So let's make up a story that he is resurrected from the dead. Let's go steal the body, but let's tell everybody he's resurrected from the dead. And let's tell everybody that he died for all of our sins. And maybe another disciple, maybe, maybe Thomas speaks up and, and Thomas says, okay, Peter, well, is that going to make us popular? And Peter says, no, nah, Thomas, that's not going to make us popular. In fact, it's going to make us very unpopular. There are going to be people who are going to try to hunt us down and kill us because of this. And maybe Matthew says, well, at least maybe we'll get rich. And Peter will probably have to reply and say, no, Matthew, the IRS agent, I don't think we're going to get rich from this. In fact, I think that they'll probably confiscate our property and try to throw us into jail so that we have nothing. And then maybe another, maybe, maybe Andrew says, well, at least we'll have this, uh, the, the, the satisfaction of, of knowing that, that we're providing people a way of salvation, eternal life. And Peter would go, dude, no, no, no. We, what we're saying is false. We know it's false. That makes us liars. So even if there is a God, we're lying. So we're not going to make it to heaven. And so after all that said, the guys look at each other and they go, that's a great plan. Yes, sign us up. Does that make any sense whatsoever? 
None at all. Look, the only thing powerful enough to compel those disciples to do what they did after the death of Jesus was the fact that they accepted the invitation of the women to come and see. The fact that they saw an empty tomb is the only thing that compelled them to do what they did. What could transform Thomas, a man who doubted the resurrection, early on to willingly take a spear through his heart because he would not stop preaching about the resurrection. He responded to the plea, come and see. What could transform Peter, a cowardly, fearful man who denied Jesus but who became the bold leader of the early church and who himself was crucified because he would not stop preaching the gospel. He responded to the invitation to come and to see. What would compel every single disciple to offer their lives for Jesus? Some of these men were beheaded. Some of these men were stoned with rocks to death. Some of them were drugged behind carriages until their body literally fell apart. Would they be willing to die for someone that they knew was dead? No. A risen Savior who vacated the tomb is the only thing that could transform such men. You see, for the disciples, everything in their world had been turned upside down with the death of Jesus. If the man they had been following for three years was dead, all their hopes for the future were dead. But if he was resurrected, that changed everything. If the man they were following was victorious over death and the grave, they had a reason to live. You say, Pastor, that's fine for the disciples but I don't live back when they lived. Let me submit this to you today. Just as their world was turned upside down, so has ours been turned upside down. Things look different for you this year than they did this time last year. And as we have dealt with political instability, as we have dealt with corona, as we have dealt with death and disease, Some of us have come to realize just how fragile life really is. We should all have come to the realization that if our hope is in our health, or if our hope is in our jobs, or if our hope is what we have in the bank, or if our hope is in our national security, we are on shaky ground. When we see how fragile life in this world is, it causes us to realize how foolish it is to live, as if the 70 or 80 years we have on this life is all that matters. It's foolish for us to not to give some thought about death and judgment or what comes next after we die. And maybe the frailty of this past year has put some of you in a place 
where you're ready to come to the tomb and see for yourself. Where is your hope for the future? Upon what are you basing your hope for the future? The seemingly solid foundations that some of us have built our lives upon are shaking. Do you have a rock under your feet that can never be shaken? Listen, friend, this world is not the place to build a life because this world is under judgment for sin. The, every foundation on this earth that we look to will not last. It is only in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we find the rock that will not fail, that we find the hope for which we long. Our only hope is Jesus. Our world stands condemned. Sinners like me and like you stand condemned, but Jesus offers us salvation. I've got some bad news for you this morning. The bad news is that we are condemned because of sin. We have chosen our own way, and I've got some worse news for you this morning. There's nothing that we can do about it. We can't be religious enough to overcompensate for our sin. Our good intentions cannot cut it. The law of sin and rebellion is written deep into our souls. That is the bad news and the worst news, but I've got some good news for you today. What we could not do, God in love did for us. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death we should have died. He paid it all. And one day, he's going to recreate this world. And when he does, he's going to wipe it free from all suffering, from all pain, and all death. And I even have better news for you than that. This salvation that Jesus offers is found only in him, but it's available for you today as a gift. It is free. It simply must be received. John 1, 12, to as many as have received him, to them he gave the rights to be called the sons and the daughters of God. But between now and then, the resurrection means that the same God that defeated death for us will take care of us in this life. You see, if Jesus did not abandon us while he was on the cross in the moment of his death, there is absolutely no circumstance in our lives that would cause him to abandon us now. And I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know where you are in that valley. And you may feel like everyone has forsaken you and left you. And the people around you might have done that. But I can tell you on the assurance of the word of God today that one of the reasons Jesus was abandoned is so we would never have to be. And one of the reasons he came up out of the grave was to show us that if he loved us in the deepest point of his pain, he will not abandon us in the deepest point of ours. There was never a more hopeless time from man's perspective than when Jesus was in the grave. It seemed like the end. The disciples were despairing, but then 
on the third day, Jesus stepped out of that tomb. And it makes it possible for us to say today, not fake news, but gospel truth, Christ is risen. And just as sure as he walked out of that grave, he promises life to those of us who are living in the shadow of death as long as we have a relationship with him. The same care that he showed for us at the cross is the same care he holds for us all the days of our lives. When we finish our time here in about 45 minutes, Some of you are thinking, he hadn't even gotten to points. There are none, don't worry. It's a pointless sermon, my, my specialty. But we finish here in just a few minutes. I'm going to run to my office. I'm going to change clothes, jump in my car, throw the t- uh, tie in the trash, jump in my car, run to the airport, jump on a plane, fly from here to Dallas, run from, because I got a tight schedule, run from one gate to the next, then fly to Little Rock, Arkansas, get my rental car, drive two hours south to 3040 Highway 32, Ralston, Arkansas, where my daddy lives. And the reason I'm going, the reason I've got to go today is, is I've got to take him tomorrow. We'll drive to Texarkana, Texas, just across the state line of Arkansas and Texas, and I'll take him to get a treatment for his lung cancer. And it's a uh, a task that my siblings and I share, and it's a task that we've, we've had to share a lot more because when they decided uh, in early December, my, my mama called me on December the, uh, the 9th uh, and, and let me know of the treatment plan, and, and nine days later she died unexpectedly, just was here one minute and gone the next, and so we've got to kind of shoulder that load and, and help take him back and forth. And I'll tell you something I've realized over the last three or four months. It's a Bible verse that the Apostle Paul spoke, and it turns out he is right. If we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Man, if, 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 Jesus, if Jesus is not alive, then... I don't want to have to deal with cancer because it's going to have the final word. If Jesus isn't alive, then I'm not going to want to deal with sudden deaths of sudden massive heart attacks because they're going to have the final word. If, if Jesus is not alive, then this life is all we've got. And if this life is all we've got, we are of all men most to be pitied. But Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, I ain't lose my mama to a massive heart attack, and it's not the end. Well, I'm certainly sad. It's certainly a valley. But it's not the end. If, if Jesus is alive, I can take my daddy to cancer treatments, and if they don't work, I know that ultimately he's going to win. If Jesus is alive, it means that, that it doesn't matter what happens to me in this life, The very worst day of my life on this earth is as close to hell as I'll ever get. And that means that I am victorious. Not because I've won the victory, but because Jesus has. 
I say, there's nothing I can do to gain my standing with God because Jesus paid it all. My hope is built not on doctor's reports. My hope is built not on cancer screenings. My hope is built not on test results. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly cling to Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And so because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And my life is worth living just because he lives. Is your life worth living today? Have you placed your faith in this risen Savior? If there's never been a time in your life when you've placed your faith in this risen Savior, I invite you to do that this morning. In fact, I'm going to ask you right where you are, just to bow, for everyone, just to bow their heads and close their eyes. We're not going to belabor this. We're certainly not going to, uh, I'm not going to make you uh, or ask you to raise your hand or do anything like that. I just want you to have your head bowed, your eyes closed so you can really focus in on it's just you and God and maybe me trying to ask you a question to make you think about your relationship with God. If there's never been a time in your life when you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, placing your faith in him is simply a prayer away. It involves confessing your sins to God. It involves your decision to ask God to change your heart and placing your faith in Him. Now, there are no magic words to say, and I'm always hesitant to tell you what to pray to receive Jesus. So understand that it's not by saying the words that I'm going to say that save you. It's by, as best as you know how, calling out to God right where you are and praying something like this, Lord Jesus. I admit that I am a sinner. And I believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to save me from my sins. So as I admit my sin, I also admit that you are the only hope of my salvation. Jesus, today, I trust in you. Save me from my sins. If you offered a prayer like that or something similar to that to God, the Bible tells us that those who call upon him, he in no wise cast out. Jesus has rescued you from the miry pit. He's put your feet upon a rock. He's put a new song in your mouth. If that's your decision today, we invite you to pray a prayer like that. Maybe your decision today is to take a step of faith. Maybe you've prayed to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, but 
your faith has wavered or maybe you just desire to follow him a little more closely than you have before. Maybe your next step is to follow the example of Jesus and be baptized, a symbol, a public commitment of your faith to Jesus. Maybe God has placed it upon your heart to make this church, First Baptist Milton, your home. In just a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. This is a time of commitment in which we give you the opportunity to make your commitment to God. When you sat down today in your pew was a card, a decision card. If you're making a decision today, you just indicate on that card what decision you're making. And you bring it to me here at the front or you place it in the offering receptacles as you leave today. I'm going to pray whatever God's placed upon your heart, we want to encourage you to take that step. Father God, thank you. Thank you.